Hey everybody, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you're watching in your living room or your kitchen or whatever you're doing, we're just glad that you're uh, tuning in. Uh, hopefully that you're staying encouraged. I know the longer that we don't get a chance to actually be together in person, uh, the longer it feels like this is all weird and different and and uh, we want to be together too, uh, soon as well. In fact, the staff has been at the building um, like measuring the distance between the chairs just in the off chance that something will change soon. Uh, so we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. Now today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to start with the end of the message. Um, and, and the reason I'm doing this is because what I'm talking about, I've, I just feel so convicted by the Spirit that this is important that I don't want anybody bailing on the sermon earlier. Uh, earlier than necessary. Now, you may not know this, but we can actually tell when people quit watching the sermon before it's over. Actually, that's not true. We can't. Uh, but I just wanted to make you a little nervous there for a second. Um, but I believe that this is a truth that God wants all of us to be acutely aware of. So whether or not you're a member of the Woodbury Church of Christ or you just stumbled across this video as you were scrolling through YouTube, I believe this is a message that God wants you to hear. So there's this particular verse of scripture that I just want to be inescapable for us. Um, I want this verse to be uh, kind of like that, that Christmas music that's just on an endless loop at the retail stores uh, as early as October. When you wake up in the middle of the night, I want this verse to be in your mind as you fall back asleep. If you decide to get a tattoo, and I'm not advocating, but it wouldn't hurt my feelings if this verse were the tattoo that you got. Now, if you're watching in the living room and you're only half paying attention because you're scrolling on your phone, put your phone down. If uh, you're watching on your phone, turn your volume up. Kids, if your mom or dad are nodding off, you know, give them a little shake. Wake them up because this is important. Now, have I uh, overhyped what I'm about to say enough? Trick question. This cannot be overhyped. I want you to take your Bibles or open up your phones or whatever you need to do and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 5 and 6. This is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and you know this verse, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, some of you just experienced a little bit of a letdown, and you're thinking, wait, is that it? That's the big, important verse that we need to remember? I mean, I already knew that verse. The way you talked about it, Patrick, I thought God had maybe written a new book or at least a new chapter or something. There are some concepts that I think strike a spiritual nerve because of how vital they are to life, and this is one of those. Because think about this. Think if that verse, what that, the truth that that verse uh, shows us were the guiding principle of your life. So parents, think about this for a second. Imagine this is the verse, this is the truth that you want guiding your children. Imagine if it were deeply embedded in the frontal lobes of your children's brains as they navigate social media or unsupervised friendships or as they head off to college. I mean, that would be more beneficial than all the micromanaging that you could possibly do. Husbands, wives, this is the verse that you want your spouses to be all about. Every financial decision that they make, the way that they handle home and life, or the way that they parent the children, the way that they interact with you after 11 weeks of quarantine, you want this verse to be in their mind. Children, whether or not you realize it right now, 
And, and listen, there may be things that all the other kids get to do that your parents tell you you can't do, but there will be a time in your life where you are going to be so incredibly thankful that you came from a home where your parents anchored your home life with this principle, with this truth. In fact, I mean, it's not overhyping it to say that the truth described in this verse will determine the course of your life. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, Patrick, now that's way out of proportion. No, look at the claim the author makes. Verse 6, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Paths, that's not hiking trails or sidewalks. That's your life unfolding before you. God can work wonders in the life of a person who fully trusts him. Personally, I have found it extremely powerful to reframe this verse as a question, kind of like on Jeopardy. So, all right, Alex, this is the question that we need to be asking ourselves. Am I trusting God with this? Am I trusting God with this. Now, this is beyond, even bigger than the specificity of that question, because this is a good question to ask because it really gets into the granular detail of our lives. But here's why this question is so valuable to ask ourselves, because it's, it's kind of like a cheat code or a superpower. I mean, it, it can take a confusing situation and just immediately clear it up. For example, I was, uh, the other day, I'm thinking through this personal kind of dilemma. What, what does God want me to do in a, in a specific situation? And it's a confusing matter. This one was one of those that required a walk out in the woods, you know, just to contemplate what God's will might be. Should I? Pros, cons, what's the right thing to do? Two paths diverge in a wood, all of that. And out of the blue, I get that sense of God saying, hey, Patrick, this is not hard. Which choice requires trust in me? And which choice is the easy way out? And just like magic, my dilemma is instantly gone. What I discovered was, is that I was just avoiding doing the hard thing uh, and getting all confused and wondering what was going on. I mean, we, we do this with, with, uh, with different dilemmas like, do I be generous and, 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 or do I make sure that I have myself all set up and taken care of and comfortable? Do I forgive and, and allow someone to risk hurting me again or do I hold a grudge? Do I spend time serving or spend time on myself? Now, of course, when I ask it like that, it seems very clear. But in the moment, when you're navigating that confusion, it can feel like you're not sure what to do. It can feel uncertain. But when you frame those matters in terms of trust, all of a sudden, not so confusing. Because this is true. Most moral dilemmas are actually trust dilemmas. There are very few situations that you'll find in life where asking this question of, am I trusting God with this, won't bring clarity. Now, we may not like the answer. It may be the hard thing to do, but it will be clear what is right. But additionally, another reason why this is an important question to ask ourselves is because moments of growth are usually moments of trust. Now, imagine you could chart your discipleship onto a line graph. I don't think like this, but you guys that love Excel and all this, you, you'll, you, hopefully this will help. Now, imagine your, this is your spiritual life. Every up and down would inevitably correspond to a time where we either leaned away or into trust in God. So you could look at this graph and you could see, oh, this downturn, that's when I did my own thing and things went south. Or this upturn, that's where I decided to trust God and obey. Because moments of growth are moments of trust. But the other reason that this question is so important to ask is because the question of trust informs 
every other question of life. It is bigger than who do I marry. It's more important than what career path do I choose. It's more impactful than where do I live. Because the answer to this question of trust informs the answer to all those other questions. Am I trusting God with this? I mean, if we could just memorize this first, it would be so good. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, you should be wondering, um, that all sounds nice, it sounds good. Maybe uh, we'll post that on Instagram, but I mean, why pick some verse in the third chapter of Proverbs? I mean, there are thousands of verses in the Bible. I mean, why not a New Testament one? Why not pick something Jesus said to be this like central important truth or question in life? Well, Proverbs, it's an awesome book, first of all, but it's been my experience that these little proverbial statements in the book are deceptively complex. Like, they look simple on the surface, but the more you let them kind of like, like work their way into your life, the more you realize how impactful and how uh, sophisticated they are. There's been so many times in my life where one of these proverbs will just pop into my mind at just exactly the right time. For, for example, you know, maybe I'll be thinking, I've got an important thing I need to get done, but I'll be thinking, I don't want to do it. I want to go take a nap or something, you know, put it off, procrastination. But then there's this proverb that jumps into my mind. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And then I think, man, okay, I guess I should just go get that thing done. Because it's in your mind. But in Proverbs chapter 3, the author of the book focuses on the meaning of life. In verse 1 and 2 of Proverbs chapter 3, this is what he says. He says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. I want you to notice the peace and prosperity. We're going to come back to that. Um, any fellow readers out there? Um, if so, uh, I assume <laughs> that maybe it's not just me. Maybe we've all had this experience. But have you ever been reading and you encountered a word or a phrase that you weren't sure what it meant or you weren't sure how to pronounce it, but you didn't actually look it up? You just kind of formulated your own way to pronounce it in your mind or you came up with your own meaning for that word or phrase? Now, the trouble is, is you've never actually heard it pronounced, or you've never actually heard it used in context. Well, there was one fellow reader, I heard this story, and I thought it was too good not to share, and I'm going to protect their name and identity, uh, but they read the phrase, good riddance, in a book. Now, for whatever reason, the contextual clues that you would normally use did not give them the meaning of the phrase, so they interpreted it to mean something like farewell, like maybe a fancy, formal way of saying goodbye. I mean, it's got good right in the phrase, you know, like how the British might say goodbye or something like that. Now, these misunderstandings, when they're kind of kept in the world of books and it's all in your head, that's totally fine. However, <laughs> this person happened to work as a receptionist at an office, and so she decided that she was going to try to make a good impression on guests leaving the office by using the fancy version of goodbye. So as guests would leave the room, she would smile and wave really big, and she would cheerily say, good riddance. Well, one of her co-workers came up to her and said, what are you doing? I do not think that means what you think it means. 
I want you to notice peace and prosperity in verse 2 of Proverbs 3. Now, that peace and prosperity is actually just one word in Hebrew, and translators really have no clear idea what to do with it. So they're kind of all over the place. Sometimes this word is translated safety and peace or security or wholeness or well-being, but it's a word you actually may know. It's one of a a handful of Hebrew words that, that we may be familiar with. The word is shalom. Now, you may have heard this word before, and most often in the Bible, it's translated peace. And and that's part of it, our understanding of peace, but that's not the fullness of it. To say that this word just means peace is like saying Beethoven's Fifth Symphony is just some notes on a page, or that Shakespeare's uh, plays are just words, or, or those of you that are missing sports, it's like saying basketball is just some tall people bouncing a rubber ball, throwing it through a hoop. Now, that's technically right. <clears throat> But these things are so much more. They're more than the sum of their parts. So shalom is this deep, vibrant, multi-layered word, and it is all over Hebrew scripture. It's all over. So don't tune out, but I'm going to talk about words and meanings just for a second. Now, ancient Hebrew only had about 8,000 words, and and a, a big number of those were actually just names. So each word in Hebrew has to do a wide variety of things. It has a lot of heavy lifting. So often, words in Hebrew had both concrete and abstract meanings. So, for example, shalom could practically mean something that was finished. Like, I told you that I'm doing some remodeling stuff around the house. Now, once I get the last nail driven in, or the last stroke of paint, or the last pile of dirt moved, I could stand back and I could say the job was shalom. It was finished. It is complete. Maybe more relatably, if you're putting a puzzle together, because you're bored at home, and you put that final piece right in place, like, it's complete. Nothing is missing. It is shalom. And you know that feeling if you can't find that last piece, how aggravating that is. That is not shalom. That is the absence of shalom. It's also the word used in the Bible if someone had been sick, but they fully recovered. Now, abstractly, shalom means a life that is complete and finished where nothing is missing. Maybe, maybe you've had moments like this, and you can think in your own life, where uh, you felt that like life was complete and full. Maybe it was everybody around the family dinner table. People are laughing. They're talking. Nobody's distracted by work. Nobody's distracted by their phone. You maybe just sat back, and you took it all in. You wanted to bottle up that moment and make that moment last forever because that moment was complete. It was full. That is shalom. I just officiated a wedding yesterday, and so this is on my mind, but uh, maybe it's when you share like the perfect sunset with someone you love, or maybe it's for the bride or the groom, just that moment where they just want to capture that moment and make it last forever because it's so perfect. It is complete. That is shalom. Now, commentators try to figure out, like, what do we do to describe this idea? So they use words like tranquility or serenity, but those words sound too much like turning on Enya and practicing mindfulness or breathing or something like that. But you can see what they're getting at. Shalom is when you feel like life is the way that it was meant to be and nothing is missing. I mean, it sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Now, like I said, this word is all over Scripture. For example, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You know this one. We usually only read it around Christmas. But, for unto us a child is born, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. And then it says in verse 7, of the greatness of his government or his kingdom, and shalom, there will be no end. 
Jesus used the Greek version of the word shalom in John 14, uh, 27. He says, my peace, my shalom I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And I think it's a common experience. I think we can all relate to this, to feel like there is often something missing in life. And this is true no matter who you are, whether or not you're a believer or whether or not you're a non-believer. But the authors of the Bible would say that missing thing that we're feeling is a lack of shalom. And the mistake of humanity from the very beginning has been to try to fill that void with something, anything, some codependent relationship, some personal achievement, some health or diet goal, some sort of idealistic standard that we'll never achieve, maybe getting the perfect photo for Instagram. It's all an attempt to achieve that sense of completeness or wholeness or well-being. And the case Proverbs 3 is making is that you cannot achieve shalom through income, status, square footage, prescription drugs, shopping, vacations, or anything else. Let me put a finer point on it, church. I need you to listen. You cannot achieve shalom by ending the stay-at-home orders. You cannot achieve shalom by being financially secure months or years into your future. You cannot achieve shalom by getting your particular guy elected. It can't happen. There is only one path to that sense of wholeness and well-being and that peace and that security. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Isaiah would later go on to say this in 26, uh, chapter 26, verse 3. He, would said, he said, you will keep in perfect shalom those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now, if you're following along, I imagine that we're having one of three responses. Maybe you're thinking, okay, trust in God, no sweat, easy, done. I've been trusting in God my whole life. I eat trust for breakfast. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking, okay, I mean, that's fair, but I have some trust issues. Well, welcome to this series. That's exactly why we're dealing with this topic right now. Maybe you're thinking, okay, uh, I want to trust God, but what exactly does that entail? What does it involve? Give me the checklist. What's the fine print? I think a great place to start thinking about, this, uh, thinking about trust is to think about the specific circumstances of your life and ask, am I trusting God with this? Now, the this could be your marriage, it could be your children, it could be your income or lack thereof, it could be your health, your happiness, your future. In fact, there's no shortage of people who are right now being forced to wrestle with this question because of circumstances beyond their control. Am I trusting God with this? All right, I want to wrap up by saying this. We're introducing this topic, but this is going to be one of those illustrations that may do more for me than anyone listening, but it's, it's finally getting warm out, and, and I just want you to imagine with me whether or not this is really your thing. I want you to imagine with me a rope swing that goes out over a lake. I've got this picture here. I mean, that sounds fun, right? This is not a picture of me. It's just one I found on the internet, but it looks like fun. I mean, this looks like a great experience. This looks like something that I would enjoy doing. This is the, the sense of leaving shore and swinging out over the lake. Now, a lot of us 
are going to like look at that and we're going to pull on the rope and we're going to check and make sure it's not frayed. We're going to make sure that the branch that it's tied to can support our weight. And that's all good. That's building trust. That's making wise decisions. That's making sure that what we're doing is smart and sensible. It's, it's like the equivalent in life would be like, we should get to know the person we're going to marry before we get married. That's a good thing to do. It's good to get to know them a little bit and learn who they are. It's like taking a car for a test drive before you buy it. Now, when we talk about this trust in our relationship with God, God is totally fine with us exploring all we want, pulling on the rope, making sure it's good. And we're going to talk about whether or not God is trustworthy in future sermons. By the way, that's not as easy a question to answer as you might think. But for a lot of Christians, that sort of tugging on the rope and, and just checking things out is as far as their trust in God ever gets. They've read all about Jesus. They know all about the verses about denying themselves or being sacrificially generous. But they have never put their full weight on the rope and left shore. To swing away from the edge, that is that full obedience and surrender. And, and here's the deal. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us that God is longing for us to trust him because he's longing to bring us that shalom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And so the invitation that God is offering us is this, is test the rope. Sure, that's fine, but grab the rope and take a swing. Jump into obedience. Jump into sacrifice. Jump into real discipleship and real life. But it is going to have to start by us asking this question. Am I trusting God with this? Now, I want you to come back next week. We're going to explore the question of, is God trustworthy? And again, I know for us Christians, if we've tuned into this, we're going to be like, well, yes, that's why I'm here, because I believe God is trustworthy. But I think some of the questions and the answers may surprise you about how we actually navigate that and actually whether or not we find God trustworthy based on some of the things that we have been allowed to go through by God. So I want to invite you back as we explore, is God trustworthy next week? Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be able to think through verses like this. And, and Lord, I just pray for our church family or anybody that's watching or listening. Lord, I pray that you would embed the truth of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 deep on our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would not let us go through this week without being forced to confront the question of trust. Lord, make us face up to whether or not we're truly trusting you or whether or not we're just learning more about you. Help us be obedient and faithful. Lord, help us take risks in your name because you have proven yourself true. We thank you for this opportunity to express trust in you. We pray that we will do so right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next time.